Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, Bill Gatton's ETSU College of Pharmacy. Today, we're going to talk about uh, AMC's Better Call Saul. That's right, Better Call Saul, uh, a little bit of landmark study in pancreatic cancer. Uh, so it's kind of you know a combination of things that makes just the perfect uh, exciting episode for me because we're talking about a study published in 2010, um, Prestige TV and and college football. All right, now if that doesn't make sense to you, uh, the first thing that you need to understand, and if you're not interested in this TV show, don't worry, no spoilers, won't take long. We'll get to the uh, the oncology pharmacy piece of this uh, soon enough. Um, so anyway, Better Call Saul is a program I enjoy. I say program like I'm like my grandmother. Um, it's a TV show that I enjoy. It's a prequel to Breaking Bad. Uh, and no spoilers here, but Breaking Bad was a show from uh, a decade or so ago. Main character had lung cancer. Um, this is a prequel uh, about uh, that person's lawyer. Anyway, in uh, this show, um, Better Call Saul, and as a prequel, it's not set in present day. Uh, currently, it's set in 2010. Um, and they take their details importantly on this show. Uh, just to give an example, in, in an episode in recent weeks, they talked about um, this is uh, this main character. Uh, he's in Nebraska, and he's talking about the, the Nebraska-Texas football game. In fact, it was the last time Nebraska played Texas, I think, in 2010. Um, and um, uh, the, they talked about the quarterback by name, Taylor Martinez. Didn't have a great game in that day. Not to be confused with current or recent Nebraska quarterback at interception machine, Adrian Martinez. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is they take the details seriously on this show, even in 2010. Right? They're using they're using flip phones, for example. Okay, so fast forward to this week's episode on Monday, and I've asked around the college people who watch this. No one I work with asks, you know, uh, watches Better Call Saul, but their husbands do, which is the same case uh, in my household. My wife doesn't watch it, but but I do. Um, anyway, um, there is, uh, without spoiling anything, there is a character who is taking some pills at a bar, and he says they are for cancer. And later somebody else recognizes these pills and says, uh, those are the same pills uh, that my dad took for, like, pancreatic cancer. And so, of course, I have to pause it then, and I just sit there and think, and instantly I know what pills they're talking about for pancreatic cancer. No, it's not a PARP inhibitor. It's not a Laparib. Uh, this is our lot nip. This is Tarceva, and this gets us to kind of our oncology pharmacy. Uh, and I'm using uh, landmark in air quotes here, landmark Oncofarm study. So let's go back to 2005. Erlotinib was approved by the FDA for metastatic pancreatic cancer in the first line study in combination with gemcitabine. Now, this pivotal study was published in 2007. So that wasn't that long ago. 2007 is when I graduated pharmacy school. Um, however, a lot has changed since then. So the the initial publication was in JCO in 2007. It was first presented in 2005 at ASCO's GI Symposium. Nowadays, when it's presented, it often comes out kind of simultaneously in the publication. This took like it was like two years later, okay, um, and that tends to, um, you know, kind of precede FDA um, approval. In this case, the approval happened first. It, you know, nowadays things are, are much more aligned. I guess the, the drug companies are doing things, um, you know, trying to get stuff to the market and out to everyone else very early. So this is the study that got it uh, FDA approved, okay? This is by Moore and colleagues in May 
2007 JCO. Erlotinib plus gemcitabine compared with gemcitabine alone in patients with advanced pancreatic cancer. A phase three trial of the North, sorry, National Cancer Institute of Canada clinical trials group. So this is a, um, not a, it's an industry supported study, but not an industry run study, um, which uh, is also maybe a sign of the times uh, that something like that could get done in 2005 uh, when this was kind of finished. All right, so on a prior episode of a Landmarks and Oncopharm, I talked about the pivotal study of gemcitabine and metastatic pancreatic cancer that got gemcitabine approved, showed an overall survival benefit compared to 5-FU and metastatic pancreatic cancer, but that was not the primary endpoint in that study. The primary endpoint in that study was deterioration in quality of life with gemcitabine uh, having the edge. That's why it got FDA approved. It had a modest overall survival benefit. What's really nice uh, in the methods, not the methods, the introduction of this article, they talk about you know, how gemcitabine was a standard of care. Since then, eight phase three trials of newer cytotoxic and biologic agents compared with gemcitabine have not shown any survival improvement, right? So it was really tough to get any better than just single agent gemcitabine. And here are the drugs studied in combination with gemcitabine that they cite that didn't beat single agent gemcitabine in metastatic pancreatic cancer, 5-FU, Irontecan, oxaliplatin, pemetrexid, exatecan, which is a drug that uh, never heard of. Um, uh, oh, fixed dose rate gemcitabine. So giving it uh, over uh, a fixed dose rate uh, or basically a longer infusion. Didn't help, cause more toxicity. Tipifarnib, a farnacil transferase inhibitor, a drug that is still being studied and trying to find an indication. Uh, and then a couple other drugs like marimastat, which is probably a stat inhibitor. That um, uh, that never uh, never made it to market. Um, so this trial was 569 patients randomized to gemcitabine and the standard dose of gemcitabine, at least in the eyes of the trialists and the FDA, is a gram per meter squared weekly for seven weeks, then one week off, and then weekly for three weeks, one week off of a four-week cycle. So initially there's an eight-week cycle with seven straight weeks of gemcitabine, one week break then three weeks on, one week off. Um, a lot of folks don't tolerate that due to thrombocytopenia. Plus erlotinib, either 100 or 150, because of uh, basically faster accrual in the 100 milligram, uh, that was, they stopped the study kind of early because they had enough in a 100, and that was the dose that ended up being FDA approved was 100 milligrams. Um, I was actually in some research today, was able to find um, uh, you know, a press release about this approval in 2005 at ODAC, the Oncology Drug Advisory Committee, you know, was asked, is this a sound study? Is it statistically significant? Is this of clinical significance? 11 said yes, two said no. Uh, and now we will, we will look at this, uh, this trial. So again, just under 600 patients randomized one-to-one. Primary endpoint was overall survival, and it's their only primary endpoint. Good. Uh, if they had done what a lot of studies do nowadays and split their alpha, they would not have been able to get this approved. Okay, and we'll look at talk about why that is. So, uh, the hazard ratio here was 0.82. The study was designed to detect a 0.75 hazard ratio, which is a 25% improvement. So it was designed to to you know detect up to a 25% improvement in the risk of death, uh, and what it found was an 18%. Um, decrease in the risk of death. So a little puzzling that you're able to find uh, this benefit. Uh, it was a smaller benefit than you even were powered to find. Okay, So it makes me think maybe a higher risk of a type 1 error. Anyway, 
Um, the, the hazard ratio of 0.82, 95% confidence interval, 0.69 to 0.99, p-value 0.038 uh, with the log rank test and stratified for all sorts of stuff. Median survival, 6.24 months with gem plus erlotinib to 5.91 months with erlotinib. You usually don't report median overall survival to two decimal points, now do you? But they do here, and just to do the math, the median difference in overall survival, or the difference in median overall survival, uh, is 0.33 months. Now, median overall survival is not the best way to look at that. We've talked about how that can be spurious. Um, but let's just use that as our measure of central tendency. A third of the month translates to 10 days, or just under 10 days. Perhaps maybe better to look at one-year overall survival, which they report. 23% versus 17%, which uh, that, that seems pretty nice. If you look at the Kaplan-Meier curve, you'll see that erlotinib is just on top of the, the placebo, um, or gemcitabine alone, um, and really only separates around 9 to 12 months, and you do see some sep the most separation. The only time you can fit a laser pointer on the slide between these two arms is really around that 12-month period. Um, uh, you know, long story short, I think we've got type 1 air here. You know, a, a less than two-week improvement meeting overall survival. It got it FDA approved. It got it FDA approved. Um, of course, there was more uh, diarrhea in the erlotinib arm, more rash. Um, th they actually do the analysis here that if you had the rash, you were more likely to live longer, uh, which chased us down a rabbit hole for a long time, especially in non-small cell lung cancer, about hoping people get rash uh, when they took their erlotinib, uh, when really maybe we should have been hoping that they had an EGFR mutation. Uh, and this makes you think, going back to the Breaking Bad universe, that uh, if Walter White, if he was not a smoker, a decent chance he had adeno and had a, you know, maybe an EGFR mutation. Maybe his whole Breaking Bad history goes differently if he's taking Tarsiva or Lotnip instead of uh, how he was treated. Uh, and maybe he would have treated others differently if that had been the case. Um, so, going back now to Better Call Saul, um, I was trying to find how much this would have cost a month. Um, or a lot of it's 100 milligrams a day. I was able to find like the CEO of whoever makes this drug in a press release say it would be two grand a month for lung cancer. Now that dose is 150, but it was still there's a 150 milligram tablet and a 100 milligram tablet. If if my memory is correct, or still is, although we don't use that drug very often anymore. Um, probably would have been the same cost for pancreatic cancer. So I can two grand a month to improve your median overall survival from. 5.9 to 6.24 months to get an extra, we'll call it, we'll round up to two weeks. You know, that's that's an extra two grand times six months. You know, that's a 12 grand. That's a bargain by today's uh, standpoint. In fact, um, the dose now of erlotinib uh, for a month would be nine grand versus two grand. Uh, and boy, uh, not all of that is recent inflation. Um, so this is, um, I, I think... An interesting time point, going back to 2005, 2007, when, when this drug first came out, we had, we were on the heels of imatinib, which was the, the first targeted small model, you know, signal transduction inhibitor, imatinib, STI, 511, signal transduction inhibitor. That was the first one and it, probably the best one. And then everyone was trying to find one that was a little bit better. And there was a thinking then, and there's still maybe some people think this, that if erlotinib, in this case, can improve overall survival by 10 days, maybe another drug will come along that's 10 days better than that, and then another one 10 days better than that, and now we got an extra month. 
Uh, and we, I went over at the beginning how hard it was to have any improvements over gem alone in pancreatic cancer. And now we do have better treatments, but they're not targeted therapies. It's gem, cytobine, and nanoparticle albumin, abraxane. It's full furanox uh, for pancreatic cancer. Still not quite finding our way with these targeted agents for pancreatic cancer. So this was, um, and still is, it's a, it's a, um, our favorite guidelines called a category one recommendation for other recommended regimens uh, in the first line setting if you have good performance status. Um, and I've talked about before that there's kind of a hierarchy here of, of treating folks with uh, metastatic pancreatic cancer. Fulfurinox for the best performance status, slightly less performance status, you would do gym, abraxane, and then poor performance status, single agent gemcitabine. No one is really doing gemcitabine and erlotinib. Um, this small overall survival benefit, I, I, would, I would take the bet if somebody redid this study. Uh, I would take the bet that you would not find a statistically significant improvement in overall survival. I think this is probably all chance. Um, that's my opinion. I think it was all just chance. Uh, but it made it way, it made its way onto uh, one of my favorite TV shows this year. And so that's why I talked about it. Fun stuff. Uh, thank you all for listening. And if you're a Better Call Saul fan, please you know, send me a message uh, so I know that I'm not alone in, in, in being curious about what these pills were for like for quote, like pancreatic cancer. Um, uh, we'll have uh, probably a, um, uh, a, uh, a foundational, uh, foundation of Oncopharm episode next week uh, with a guest. Uh, so something to look forward to. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at PharmDDip, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncopharmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.